My name is George Polcaster. Um, Niall and Christy are suffering in Florida right now. Um, whereas we in the Northwoods, we risk our lives to come to church. Um, and Kelly Nellis handed this to me. This is uh, something that was found in the parking lot, an iPod. So if you just afterwards tell me the serial number, I'll give it to you. And uh, if it was left there, you probably wouldn't find it until May. But... Um, and also in the bulletin, it talked about Fun Club happening, but that's not true. So don't come to Fun Club. It's not happening this week. Um, well, it's a real privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, this, is, this is a great setting to celebrate Advent. I mean, it's cold and it's dark. And Advent is all about, a, the, the term Advent means arrival or coming. And, and so what we do is, in preparation for Christmas, we we begin to look towards the Christmas story and all that it means and all of its detail. Um, and it's situated very purposely at the end of December, winter solstice. This year it's December 21st, which is the shortest day and the longest night. And this uh, came about in the 4th century. Christians put it at that time so that as we, as we enter into winter and we, we, we look toward Christmas, we think about the light coming into the world, Jesus, and now the days will become longer. So we, we're kind of like tied in with what he's doing in the natural world as we relive and, and rehearse this Christmas story together as, as his church. Um, looking back on his first coming and looking forward to his second coming. Uh, just recently, my wife and I were watching TV. It's kind of what you do in the wintertime, right? And... There's a movie that came out this past year called Life Animated. And we didn't watch that movie, but we watched a, a 2020 special talking about that movie. And in this, this 2020 special, it was called Finding Owen, A Boy's Story. And it's basically the story of a man who is now in his early 20s named Owen Suskind. And his parents discovered when he was three years old that he's autistic. And right around that time, he suddenly became silent. And developmentally, he started to go backwards. They were very concerned for him. Um, he hardly would speak for the next three years. They didn't know exactly. At this time, many people didn't even know what autism was. Um, they got a lot of professional help, and, and uh, people gave advice. But in the midst of it, they were beginning to lose hope. And uh, Owen, like most kids, though, watched a lot of Disney movies. They were playing, and he was absorbing, and he'd say different things, just very short words, but he was, he was very captivated by Disney movies like a normal kid. And one day, his older brother, Walter, they had a birthday party, but for some reason, Walter wasn't real excited after the party and was kind of down. And Owen came into the, into the kitchen where his mother and father was, and he said to them, Walter doesn't want to grow up to be like Mowgli or Peter Pan, and then left the room. And, and it wasn't like he said just a, little, a couple words, but he said like a whole put-together sentence. And it was, it, was, it was full of like insight into what was going on. And they quickly realized that Owen was using all these Disney movies to understand life, that he was making sense of his world using all of these Disney movies. That was the lens at which he could understand the world he was living in. And so then the father says that as a result of that, they began to do kind of Disney dialogue. 
they, they realized this is his world. This is the language that he's speaking. And they began to connect with him. And, and it ended up being the whole background and the way in which he, he could now grow and excel in life. And he, gets, he goes through school and he, and he leaves the home and he lives independently and he falls in love and all these different things. And it's a, the whole story is about his coming of age. But it's all in the background is this whole Disney thing happening that allows him to understand his world, allows him to participate in it, and navigate the challenges of life. And after I saw that, I, I just thought to myself, you know, we all do this. We all do this. We enter some kind of a story, and it gives us meaning, and it allows us to understand life and to navigate and to live. Um, whether we're conscious of it or not, we're, we buy into America's narrative or our family stories or all the different ways our cultural get, culture gives us stories. And those stories inform us, and they shape us, and they, um, they make the world we live in and the world we understand. It could be the American dream. Uh, so my question this morning is, what story do we inhabit? What's the story that you inhabit? And I contend that, that our life is only as good as the story we attach ourselves to. I think that's what we're going to see this morning. And I think, in particular, we see in Joseph that he inhabited the story of God. The big story. He inhabited that story. He lived within it. It was the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that looked forward to the time of Emmanuel. That was the story he lived in, and it allowed him to make the choices he made and the decisions that he made. So, as a kind of a main idea, I believe... We fulfill God's highest purposes for our lives and, fully al- and are fully aligned with his will when we embed ourselves in and inhabit his story, specifically the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So the goal this morning is for us to enter this world together, Joseph's world, and follow this story, which gives us a window into God's story, a story we're being invited, we're being invited into. And, and from an early age, we, we kind of understand story structure, right? Talk about it in school. You have this, this moment where the stage is set, and then you have the rising action, and then you have the climax, and the falling action, resolution. The young kids already know, know what I'm talking about, even if the f- adults have forgotten this. But this is kind of a, a, a thing that's true of stories, how they develop. And I was recently listening to a podcast talking about the hero's journey. And the, the speaker in the podcast, was, was, uh, he's a Christian speaker, and he was talking about the hero's journey. This was a term coined by someone named Joseph Campbell. Um, but, but basically it's this template or theme that you could place over a story. And, and, and what happens is the hero goes on an adventure and in a decisive crisis wins a victory and then comes home changed or transformed. So that's the hero's journey. And uh, you see it in many characters in many movies, but you also see it in Abraham, you see it in Moses, you see it in Jesus. And there's these three stages that Joseph Campbell describes. Departure, where you're living in the ordinary world, and you're invited on an adventure. And then the second phase is initiation, where there's some kind of a threshold that has to be passed over, and, and, it, and you're exposed to this special world a world that you just didn't have eyes to see. 
And then you're transformed in this process. You're changed. And then you, then you go back into and you return in the third stage to the ordinary world. But you're different. And you become a change agent. A change agent. So I believe this is not just what God does in Scripture and in the stories that you read, but it's what he does in the life of you and I. He does this in your life. Living in the ordinary world exposes you to all that he is in different ways, thrusts you back in to go and to transform the world of others with the gospel. So this is kind of playing in my head and in the background, and I want to just put that kind of template over this story. So the first step, and you're gonna, there's a Bible in front of you. You can grab it. We're looking at Matthew chapter 1, um, starting with verse 18, as Amy read. Verses 18 and 19, here we have departure. Joseph living within the ordinary world. He's a man with a plan. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So the first thing that stands out to me is that Joseph was an average Joe. Sorry. But he's, he's a man like you and I. He is really, he is just so ordinary. He just blends in with the background, okay? Just a, he's a carpenter, just blends in with the background, living in a little town called Nazareth. Um, if it weren't for Jesus, you, had never have, you would have never have heard of it. Uh, he's living a very ordinary life, and he's pledged to be married to this young woman, Mary. Nothing special aside from him, aside from his lineage, and that he, he can trace his lineage back to King David. Many people probably could. So that was a special thing about, about Joseph. But in many ways, he's just an average Joe. Um, but it's really funny to me that, that uh, God has the habit of picking ordinary people. He really does. He has the habit of just picking these ordinary people. They become the, the main character in the story. I mean, Jesus is the main character of the story. But, but look what's leading up to it. Look who he's choosing, this ordinary person. And, and if you're with me, it, it, it kind of reminds you of King David. And how he was selected, who was a distant relative, distant relative of Joseph, King David. And if you remember that story in 1 Samuel 16, you have God rejects Saul as king, and he visits the prophet Samuel and says, I want you to go and anoint a new king. Samuel's like, okay, where am I going? He's like, I want to send you to a little town in Bethlehem, and you're going to see a man named Jesse. He's got seven sons, okay? And I want you to anoint one of them king. And he goes in and he sees this first handsome, uh, the oldest son, Eliab, and he says, surely this must be the one. God says, no, that's not him. You're, you look at it through men's eyes. And you're looking at outward appearance. I look at the heart. God says to Samuel. So Jesse's bringing all these sons by, one after another, one after another. And nothing. Nothing. And it's like, well, now what? This is a big waste of time. And he says, do you have any other sons? And it's like, I do. I have one more son. He's, he's out in the field. He's a little shepherd boy, David. He says, send him in. Bring him in. 
And as soon as he enters the room, the Lord says to Samuel, stand up, anoint him. That's the king. Ordinary shepherd boy. Brought in in front of the prophet Samuel, and God says, that's the king. Ordinary people. That's who God uses. This is how God works. All through scripture. So if you're an ordinary person, okay, this morning, you're just a stay-at-home mom, you're a truck driver, you're a school teacher, you're an electrician, you work at a restaurant, you're perfectly set up and ready to be a character in God's story. You don't have to, you don't have to just disregard that vocation and do anything different. You're totally ready, poised, and positioned to enter God's story. So, like most stories, though, we need to be ready and expect the unexpected, right? That's what's going to happen next. We find out that Mary's pregnant. Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. And this is like a bomb being dropped. See, now we're, we're in a crisis pregnancy mode for Joseph. I mean, this is good news for the world, but for Joseph, this is the worst news imaginable. I mean, this rocks his world. This is a curveball that he didn't expect and it's being delivered by God. He just doesn't even know it yet. The most shocking and hurtful news that he could ever dream up. That's, just, that's what he's, he's coming to terms with right now. That's the place he's in. And he's pledged to be married to Mary. Married to Mary. And within a Jewish betrothal period, there were no sexual relations. This was a binding commitment. Unlike our modern engagement, this is only going to be broken from a, through adultery or through something like this. And so, what's Joseph going to do? After he gets over this initial shock, we can see he makes a plan. He's got an idea. i got a plan. After, and he's just kind of thinking clear-headed. And it's a good plan. This is a win-win. Because by divorcing Mary, he will preserve his integrity and his religious status. And by doing it quietly... He will protect Mary from public shame and disgrace and ridicule. So I think he goes to bed that night with a bleeding heart, but he's got a clear conscience. I think that's the way in which he he goes to bed that night. And so you pause right there in the story. Here you have Joseph. He's a person of character. He's about to do the right thing in his mind. Okay, He's about to make a very biblical God-honoring, good decision. He had every, every right to do what he was about to do. And yet he's trapped within the ordinary world. See that? He's, he's, he's trapped within the ordinary world, within a natural way of looking at the world. And God's going to interrupt this story. But we have, we have examples in our own lives, don't we? Where you had a plan. You had something that came to you, a big challenge, something that rocked your world. You kind of devised a plan. You tried to come to terms with it, but you just didn't have quite the perspective yet. Maybe it was a breakup. Maybe it was getting laid off from a job. Maybe it was a loss of a loved one. But there was some, some way in which there was a disruption, and this bad news, now you see it, ended up being good news. And so God uses this departure stage to lead us into the initiation stage, and that's what's happening for Joseph. So verse 20 starts with the word, but, but, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. 
and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now we're in the initiation stage. Joseph had a plan, but God had a better plan. And he's going he's gonna to now, the, the veil is being opened. He had naturalized, seeing the world in that way. Now he's given a new lens, and he can supernaturally see what it is that God's up to. Heaven and earth are now colliding. And he's exposed to this, this special world that's always been present, but he didn't understand. He can see it. He's got insight now. I, I was reading this article that Niall gave to me this past week um, in regard to this sermon, and, and in it, it, it talked about how Muslims are coming to Christ through dreams. Many Muslims are coming to Christ through dreams. And, and here's a little quote from that article. Dr. James Dennison has written extensively about a global phenomenon that is happening especially among Muslim people that includes the presence of dreams. He notes how statistics and stories suggest more Muslims have come to Christ in the last 15 years than in the previous 15 centuries. Many Muslims are responding to visions and dreams. And I read that, and it reminded me of a time when I was in Istanbul, Turkey in 1996 on a missions trip. I was with my pastor from the church that I belong to in Evanston, Illinois, and a group of people, and we were visiting with a brand new church. Turkey is 99% Muslim. This was a brand new church of new believers, new Turkish Christians in Istanbul. And we got to be there and, and experience life with them and to see into this church plant that was happening. And I, I remember, and many of them had great English, and I remember talking to one, and I found my journal. Who has, finds their journal from 20 years ago? I have no idea, but I found it. And, I, and this is the story that I wrote, because I remembered this, but I couldn't remember all the details. But this is what, it, what I wrote in that journal. So listen to this. Today I met a Kurdish man named Serhat, who has been a believer for a year. He had a vivid dream which compelled him to follow Christ and disown Islam. He had had a dream of being on the top of a hill, and on the hill he saw a man he knew who asked him if he was a Christian. For some reason, he felt compelled to say yes. When he did, the man ripped a cross necklace off of Serhat's neck and pushed him down the hill. When he went down the hill, he fell into a river where he felt like he was going to drown. As he was drowning, a man lifted him up and said, Don't worry. I won't let you drown, and I won't let you die. Serhat said, Who are you? The man said, I am Jesus. Sarah told me, Serhat told me he had the stream seven consecutive times, and then he became a believer. At strategic times in life, we pass through the wardrobe into Narnia. We see the special world and what's great about this is you can't hide from God. He'll, he'll track you down, he'll find you, and he'll meet you in a dream if he has to. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he, he will, is intent. 
even when you're going in the opposite direction, he can come and meet you in a dream. And he called Serhat, like many of us, into this adventure, into God's story. So, has God interrupted your life? This is what God does. He interrupts our lives. And he does it through all the characters of Scripture. Just think with me for a minute. Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Moses, he's tending his father's flock. He's on the far side of the desert. He gets to Mount Horeb, and then he sees a burning bush. And the angel of the Lord speaks to him. Simon and Andrew, they're at the side of the Sea of Galilee. They're fishing. Jesus walks up to them and says, Come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You have Saul, who, persecuting Christians on the way to Damascus, he's literally blinded by the light. Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You have Peter on a rooftop. Sees a vision of a sheet coming down full of all these animals that no good Jewish person would ever eat. And he hears the Lord say, kill and eat. And it's, and it's a message about how, as Gentiles, we're part of this whole thing that God's doing. So over and over again, you just see it, one character after another. God interrupting life and calling people into this new powerful story and a new reality that's right there, initiating us into the, his story, his drama, his world. And, th- and this is just how he works. This is why Paul says, it wasn't with wise or persuasive words that I came and spoke to you. It was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The words can only do so much. You need to experience God. So God wants to inter- interrupt your life. He wants to interrupt your story so that it can be merged with his story. He wants to merge your story with his story. Get you on that path. And the way it works here is God reminds Joseph in this dream of who he is. And he says it with authority. Do you see that? This isn't like this might happen or here's a little idea that I have instead. No, this is with authority. This is the angel of the Lord speaking to him. You're Joseph. You're the son of David. You're a person of significance. You have a story that matters and I'm merging it with my story right now. What's conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. Relax. It's from the Holy Spirit. Trust me. She's going to give birth to a son. His name's going to be Jesus. He's going to save people from their sins. He's going to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said about Emmanuel, God with us. So Joseph's drawn into this bigger story, this larger story, his personal story being merged with this big story, God's story. It's full of drama. God's just a great storyteller. I was thinking about this um, in terms of my own personal story. And growing up as a kid, my mom would tell me the story about how when she was pregnant with me, she was uh, on a boat ride in Arkansas. And the boat she was on went on some choppy water. And as a result of it, she started bleeding after the boat ride while she was pregnant. Obviously a big concern. She goes to the doctor in Arkansas, and the doctor says, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you lost the baby. And the doctor wanted to do a DNC. 
So if she's distraught, you have to understand, for my mother, she had already lost a child to a drowning accident nine years before. She had lost a, a child um, at birth three years before. So to say this was that she was in shock and disbelief was an understatement. But she decided when she got back home to, to not make any movements but to see her doctor, Dr. George Vlasis, uh, in Oaklawn, Illinois. And Dr. Vlasis, Dr. George Vlasis, examined my mother. She would tell the story. And after a thorough examination, she looked at, he looked at the doctor report, ripped it in half. And then she, he said to my mother, you're going to have a boy, and he's going to be born on my birthday. And that's it. And my mom was like, Whew. and I was. I was born, and her, and her name is Mary, by the way. But um, <laughs> I'm far from Jesus, though. But she had a baby, a boy, on Dr. George Bloss' birthday. And uh, I'm glad that doctor was right. That's the story I was born into, that I heard as a kid. And at an early age, it, it helped me believe that my life mattered that my life was in God's hands. She told that story to me several times. So for Joseph, this dream explains his life and it gives it direction. See, it, it, his, his story is found now in God's big story. Joseph the dreamer. Joseph the dreamer. This, this whole dream thing, it's going to happen four times in this narrative. And this is not just a minor detail, but four times. So Chapter 1, verse 20, that's, that's just the first time in this scripture that we're looking at. It's going to happen in chapter 2, verse 13, after the Magi visit. Joseph, an angel is going to appear, tells Joseph, get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. So take the kid, take the, the, the mother, and go to Egypt. 2.13. Then 2.19, after Herod dies, tells, tells Joseph, take them and now go back. Go back to Nazareth. And then in 2.22, Herod's son is reigning. Go to Nazareth. So four times, angel of the Lord, God is speaking to Joseph in dreams. Now, if you're with me on this, you can see that this Joseph in the New Testament is really just an echo of another Joseph from another time, a Joseph in the Old Testament. You have Joseph in the Old Testament. He was... Uh, the son, one of 12 sons for Jacob. And Joseph was, remember, Jacob's favorite son, the coat of many colors. People remember this story. In Genesis 37, Joseph has all these dreams. He has two different dreams. And he naively tells them to his brothers who now, who are already against him, who are already feeling this favoritism between Jacob and Joseph. And so they're upset at him because of these dreams that Joseph the dreamer is having. And they're mocking him. And then eventually they take it out on him and they sell him into slavery. And where does he end up going? Egypt. He goes to Egypt. He goes to Egypt and he's in the palace of Potiphar. And all of this happens. And, and, then, and then the Pharaoh has a dream. And in the dream, it, it, uh, Joseph interprets it and it prevents them from, from being impacted by a great famine. And although they intended it for harm, God intends it for good. 
That's how Genesis wraps up. So I bring that up just to say that Joseph, the father of Jesus, was prepared for this moment by a distant relative of the same name. So what I see in this story is that this Joseph, this story of Joseph in the Old Testament was internalized by the Joseph of the New Testament. And so Joseph's having the dream, and when it starts happening and he sees things being put together, he sees his place in the story. And he sees that this is, this is, a, rem- this is a, a, a remake of that story. That God is once again working redemption. And he's going he's gonna to bring Emmanuel, God with us, into the world. And he's going to use Joseph for salvation. Because he's attached to that story, he knew what to do in this story. Because he was attached to that story, he knew what to do in this story. He had a script to follow now. And this, was, this is what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to internalize his story so that we can live and do his work in the world. That's what he's, that's what he's up to. That's what he wants to do. And you can see it in the New Testament. Stephen, when he, in, right in the midst of martyrdom, in Acts chapter 7, what does he say? Lord, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. He, he says and echoes the very words of Jesus when he's dying on the cross. See, he was inhabiting that story. That was his story. He embraced it. He was living within it. And it happens for Paul. He's so embedded in the gospel. It's so part of his life that he could say, I want to know Christ and the power of, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the story we're meant to inhabit. And it's not too late. We can step into it right now fully enter that story so the third and final step joseph awakes and does what the angel says he returns into the ordinary world verses 24 and 25 when joseph woke up he did what the angel of the lord had commanded him and took mary home as his wife but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name jesus so joseph returns to the ordinary world a changed man, obedient to everything that the angel said. He had scrapped his plan, and he had now gone for God's plan. And what was that like for him to tell his friends and family, this is what he's going to do, and this is what's up? This very subjective experience took a lot of faith, took a lot of boldness. For those who had eyes of faith, they could go along with it. I think for others, they probably thought he was crazy. By taking Jesus into his life, was everything going to be easy for him? Was it going to be an easier life as he, as he takes Jesus into his life and embraces this, this moment of being the father to God's son? No way. He lives in a ref, as a refugee in Egypt. He's running. He's hiding. He's enduring whispers and gossip from the community. We'll read in the New Testament and the Gospels when he returns home. Taking Jesus into your life won't make your life easier, but it'll make your life better. You could enter the good life. The other thing I want us to see, the last thing, is there's so much that has changed for Joseph in all of this. So much change. Like, whoa, what's going on here? But I want, to, want you to notice what doesn't change. Look at all the things that don't change in the life of Joseph. 
in the midst of everything that happens, he continues to go to work as a carpenter. He doesn't scrap it all and say, well, I've got to be a priest now. He doesn't scrap it all and completely change his vocation and, and do something different. goes right back to the carpenter's shop. He's different now. He's a changed man. He's attached to a different story, though. Um, he continues to live in this little town of Nazareth. Not an exciting place. Lives in Nazareth. He, does, he doesn't take this as, we've got to get out of here. We've got to go... We've got to go to Jerusalem. This is the Messiah. We've got to go to Rome. We've got to get to the center of the action. He stays put right in Nazareth. Um, he returns to the ordinary, but something extraordinary is happening within this ordinary. And this is what Jesus wants to do as we take him into our lives. We enter, he enters our ordinary world he doesn't want to take you out of that ordinary world. He wants to meet you in your ordinary world. So in conclusion, and the musicians are going to come up, we're going to share communion together as we wrap up. Um, this is the story that makes sense of the world. We talked about Owen in the beginning. This Disney narrative, this, these Disney stories, it's how he knew what was going on. Um, this is the story that makes sense of the world. This is a story that gives meaning, direction, and hope to life. So look at your life. Look at what God is calling you to in a fresh way. He wants to move you through these stages, exposing you to his world so that you'll be transformed to be an agent of change in the world that he's sending you into. And the question is, will you pick up this script? Will you pick up this script in Scripture? See yourself in the story and walk it through. Will you receive Jesus as king into your life? That's the question for us this morning, the challenge. I'm going to say it again. Where are the musicians? They can come on up. The, I don't think anybody's paying attention. So uh, we're going to celebrate communion this morning. It's great timing. This is a true opportunity for us to enter God's story, to inhabit the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a time to tangibly experience Jesus, who was both Jesus, the Lord who saves, and Emmanuel, God with us. They come together in this one God-man, Jesus. During the whole nativity story, no one expected for this person to give their life as a ransom to lay it down so that we could um, be part of God's story. But that's what he did. By laying his life down, he made a way for you to enter God's grand story. So this, this morning we received Jesus as a gift again. Um, the ushers can come on up. We're going to begin to distribute this. Um, <clears throat> musicians are going to play, but if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we invite you to share in this time with us. There, inside, there's a cup, and in the bottom of it, there's a small gluten-free cracker. So they're going to pass this out, and I'm going to pray before we do that. But we invite you to share in this with us. Jesus, we thank you for the gift that you are, that you've given yourself to us. We thank you that you 
have included us in your great story, that we get to be a part of this and get in on what you're doing in the world. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.